Thanks, Sam. Now you all know why the pulpit is shorter. <laughs> uh, okay, well, uh, good morning. Good to be with you all. If you don't know me, uh, my name is Matt Stone. Uh, if you're new and you're visiting, we're so happy you're here. One of the things that West Center uh, loves to do is to walk with people through suffering, through struggles, through doubts and concerns, and we, we aim to point together uh, at the Lord, at Jesus Christ, His grace, and the Word of God. And so we do that in a lot of ways. We do it through preaching, and singing, Bible studies, life groups, and, and those things are all wonderful rich resources for seeing and receiving the hope and change that a life in Christ offers. Another way that we want to do that is through the biblical counseling program. We believe that there is life-changing power in the word of God and in the grace of Jesus Christ, and we want to walk with people through their suffering. Whatever doubts or concerns they have, whatever struggles they might be facing, we want to walk with them through that. I am going to be doing some things with the counseling program, and there are lots of counselors available. So let me just say, we want to talk with you. Um, and maybe you're a person right now that's, that's walking through something hard. Um, uh, maybe your spouse mentioned, hey, it'd be good if we saw a counselor together. Or you have a sin struggle that you just can't seem to shake. Um, whoever you are, whatever the struggle, don't walk through it alone. Um, we want to walk with you. We want to talk with you. And it's not just for this church, this counseling program. It's for the community. So tell your friends, your family, your coworkers. We want to point you to the help that is in the Lord and uh, in the healing power of Jesus Christ. And so I just want to put that out there. And with that, uh, would you pray with me? Father, we come before you today and praise and wonder at what you've been doing in our lives this week. Father, you are the giver of every good gift, and we see your spirit bearing fruit in our lives and in this church. We thank you for the riches of your grace. We thank you that we have all that we need in Christ, that we're not left alone in our sin, that we're no longer under condemnation, that we no longer have to fear, uh, that we have the riches of grace that Christ offers over and over, an abundance of grace. We know of our sins today, Father. Um, your Holy Spirit convicts us and we see the good things that you give and we turn them into idols. Um, each one of us, it's, a, it's an individual thing. The things that we prize, possess, that we need to have. We take your blessings and we turn them, we twist them. We make them idols. Forgive us, Father. We know that with confession and repentance, there is forgiveness of sins. We know that that grace comes from our Lord Jesus, and we're so thankful for it. And we don't have to fear punishment from you, but we can confess, knowing that you love us. Show us again, Father, the mercy and grace of your Son, Jesus. Help us to treasure Christ for who he is and what he has done. And we do pray uh, tonight, uh, Father, that you would be working through VBS and that your gospel would be put forward uh, clearly in the teaching and in the activities. We pray for the kids, their parents, the teachers, uh, that this would be uh, a time to receive the good news of the gospel. And Father, lastly, we pray now that uh, as your word goes out, you would, by your spirit, change us. 
that you would conform us more into the image of Jesus, that uh, we would know our sin, but also see our Savior so clearly. And remember that it has all been paid for, and that we are free to follow after him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me set up a little bit of context uh, before we move into the um, text itself and uh, just give you a little bit of background. So we've been going through this uh, series, the, the Psalms of Ascent, and these are the words of Israelites coming from various tribes, various locations around Israel, even into exile and back as they go up to Jerusalem uh, for feasts, for religious days. If you want to hear what they're going up there for, maybe just think they're going up there to party or something, they're going up to meet with each other and hang out, it's a family reunion. It is not quite that. They're going up there to be assembled before the Lord, to be in the Lord's presence, to both offer praise and sacrifice to the Lord, and to receive from the Lord his word, his blessing the atonement of sins and and things like that. You can look back at Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and see what God is calling them to assemble for. And so they take these songs on their lips as they go up to worship. And maybe it's a day, it's two days, it's many months across the desert. Whatever it is, these are their songs they're singing as they come to worship. And it's not a stretch to think about us doing the same thing, coming before the Lord to receive from him, to be in his presence, And to take words on our lips to praise him. So this psalm of ascent in particular is focused on the theme of fullness. And I want you to think about fullness for a minute. Maybe for some of you, it's easy to think about. You remembered to have breakfast before you came. You are therefore full-ish. Some of you maybe didn't want me to bring up fullness because you skipped. Sorry. Um, But I, I want you to think beyond just food. Uh, Think about a life full of friendship, Uh, a friend that you've had for many years, or maybe that's something you've wanted and that's something you're pursuing. Think about a table full of family. Maybe that's Christmas or Thanksgiving, Um, just all, all the relatives. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a bad thing. I don't know, but it's a big full table full of family. Think about a life full of years. You're, You're living till you're 100 or 110. And then go beyond, your st- go beyond yourself and start thinking about a city that's full. It's prosperous. It's, it's flourishing. It's well manicured. It's the pride of the county and the state and the nation. That is the vision of the psalmist. And the aim of this psalm in particular is to stir up your hope, your desire for blessedness, for, for fullness, as you reflect on God's goodness in so many ways. But our desires need to be rightly rooted. And so the questions we're going to ask together as we look at this, what does it mean to be blessed and how do we see our blessings rightly? If you're using the Bible underneath the chair in front of you, you'll find Psalm 128 on page 518. Psalm 128, and let's read it together. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in his ways. You, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. 
The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. I want to work through this psalm in in three points today, thinking about fullness. We're going to talk about future fullness, fleeting fullness, and firm fullness. Future fullness, fleeting fullness, and firm fullness. Look with me at verse 1. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. This verse seems simple enough. If you fear the Lord, you walk in his ways, you're blessed. So to receive God's blessings, however many, however great, however small, you have to fear him. It's a pretty simple equation. And Israel, they knew this principle so well. This is constitutional to who they are. God had brought them out of slavery, out of Egypt. He'd graciously rescued them. He'd redeemed them. And so he'd given them a way to live as he brings them into the land of Canaan. In Leviticus 18.5, he, he put it simply. He said, do this and live. And he means, obey my law and it will go well with you. Things will go really well. You'll, you'll come into this land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to drive out your enemies from before you. It's going to be well with you. You know, wealth and, and happiness and life, descendants. Only Israel must fear God. So that word fear, it, it brings up different connotations in each of our minds, and we want to think about it carefully. We never want to forget who God is, for who he is is tied directly to who we are. We're in relationship with God. And while we don't want to fear God like the boogeyman or a scary movie, we also don't want to lose the sense of awe and reverence that God in himself demands of us. God is holy, holy, holy. God is far off. God is other. We are small. We are dependent. We are created. But God isn't just that. God has come near to us in Jesus and by his spirit. He's compassionate. He's tender. He's loving. So to fear God is not only to know who we are before him, but to remember who he is and to live accordingly. That is to obey him, to listen to him, to live righteously before him. And this is something so uh, foundational for Israel. they're, They're sitting with this all their lives, the fear of the Lord. And you'll, you'll hear that language throughout the Proverbs and things. It's the beginning of wisdom, etc. But to fear the Lord is to know who he is and then to live righteously before him. So the psalmist turns from this foundational principle for being an Israelite, and he goes on to explain what God's blessings will look like. This is the future fullness. Verse 2, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. If you were here last week, You'll remember Justin, Pastor Justin, talking about what's the fruit of anxious toil. You get bread that makes you sick. And this is a verse that's in contrast to that. When you work hard, when you're walking in step with the Lord, when you're obeying him, you get to have your cake and eat it too. You're going to be blessed. It's going to be well with you. Health and wealth in many different ways and happiness. And so the theme of fullness continues in verse 3. This is the poetically painted backdrop of a home, 
of a table. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. This imagery is very common in Scripture. The, the vine imagery, the, the bearing fruit imagery, it's about abundance. It's about life and vitality. So far, this song that these sojourning Israelites, they're singing as they come into Jerusalem, it, it summarizes a right response to God in light of who he is and the blessings that follow. And then verse 4 brings us exclamation point. It's, it's basically verse 1 again. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. If you live righteously before the Lord, this is your reality. It's sweet. It's vivid. It's real. And the psalmist is sort of on a roll. And so he says in verses 5 and 6, The Lord bless you from Zion. And may the prosperity of Jerusalem, may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Indeed, may you see your children's children Peace be upon Israel. The psalmist is seeing God's blessings through the lens of Israel. These are God's chosen people. This is God's chosen place, Zion or Jerusalem. And he's gone from talking about this right relationship of of fearing God to all the blessings that will follow. Eating some great food after a hard day's work. Having a full table of family descendants, which it means so much in the days of Israel. You had to have a male heir so that the family line could continue. And he even goes beyond that. He talks about the prosperity of their nation and their capital, so to speak. And it's really good. I mean, I don't want to paint it in a bad way. It's a wonderful, beautiful image. And maybe some of you, if if you wrote down your own psalm, you would have some of these same things. You would have the olive shoots and the vine. You would have the food that's awesome. And uh, you would have a city that you're living in that you love and that's prosperous. Maybe your marriage is at a high point. Maybe your bank account is full. Maybe you're healthy or you're experiencing the joy of the Lord in a profound way. If that's where you are, Take time to praise the Lord. Reflect on his goodness. Those things are sweet. They're precious. Yet, there is a problem as we turn to our second part. Fullness is fleeting. Fullness doesn't last forever. Our nature reminds us of that three times a day. We have to go eat again. We get hungry. We get sick. And it's not only sickness In our bodies, it's sickness in our relationships. We fight tension at work. We fight it in our families. Maybe your wife isn't a healthy vine. Maybe it's withering away. Maybe your olive shoots have moved on to other gardens. They're they're long gone. The reality of your past and your present circumstances. It says that any earthly fullness that we have in this life It's only temporary. And if fullness is fleeting, where did it go? What what happened? Well, from the get-go, from page two of your Bible, there's a contradiction with what the psalmist is putting forward. What was supposed to be in Eden, this picture of fullness and vitality, of bliss and unending life, man, it did not last Instead of a fruitful vine for Adam and Eve, one son killed another. And things just got worse. 
But the problem isn't just with Adam, it's with you and me. The blessings that God has given, that God continues to give, they end up distorted, they end up twisted, and we experience it every single day, and we probably don't even really think about it. Hey, God, I'm really trying to be good. I got off of work on time. I went home. I hung out with the kids for a half hour. I'm trying to serve my wife. But why is she so cold? Why is she so distant? Why can't we just talk? Why can't we get any time alone? Jesus, you know I haven't had a drop in two years. So thankful for that. I'm thankful for recovery the sinful destruction that you've kept me from, but I just want back the relationships I had. I want back that car that I crashed. Why, why doesn't anything go right for me at work? And children, they do this too. God, I've been good. I've been so kind to my sister, but why is grandma sick? There are two faulty ways of thinking that emerge. We think about receiving God's blessings. First, we think we can clean ourselves up, that if we behave rightly, God will bless us like an equation. If I put good in, I'm going to get good out. I'm going to put good in, I'm going to get good out. Second, we think we should be able to determine what the blessing is, what it looks like. I'm doing this, God. I've been doing my part I expect that over there. I want you to make this situation better. I want you to make it well with me. And I want to say, yes, living living righteously before God often does result in a lot of blessings because you avoid sin. You avoid folly. You stay on the path. That's why we have the book of Proverbs to tell us generally how life goes when we live righteously before the Lord. But it is not an equation. It's not one-to-one. And God addresses it very seriously in the book of Job. Here's a man who, who fears God, who walks in his ways, yet he's not blessed, but he's, he's seemingly cursed. He's, he's tested. He's brought low. There is no fullness, but emptiness at his table, emptiness in his bank account. All his herds are destroyed. There's emptiness in his family tree. All his children pass away. And he doesn't get told why this happens to him. From, from Job's story, and maybe your own circumstances right now, you can see that the problem is both in us and outside of us. There's a lot that we do not control So what's this psalmist getting at? Is it just some lies? He got a dream of living the good life. May the Lord bless you from Zion. Your wife's going to be like a vine. Your children like olive shoots. I don't think so. I don't think he's trying to puff us up and then just sort of cut us down. It's just that we need to center on the fear of the Lord and walking in his ways since those are the things that are essential to being blessed. You and I want the fullness that the psalmist is setting forth. But we need to see how it's received rightly. Because often God gives us a good thing and we start to grip it way too tightly. 
Maybe you hold on to it with both hands. What's that thing for you? Is it approval? Maybe it's a particular relationship that you have to have. Maybe it's your downtime. Maybe it's the way that people perceive you in the community. And it's been said before by a lot of pastors and theologians, but if it's a singular thing that's taken away from you and it crushes you, that thing is probably an idol if it's not God, if it's not Christ. You're holding on to that thing too tightly, and when we hold on to things too tightly, we turn them from blessings into curses. We value them more than God the giver. We start to despair when they're taken away. We start to scramble for them when they're taken away. We start getting very angry at God, at those standing between me and whatever that thing is. But we often hold on to God's things very loosely. We, we, we go, this blessing, God, I, I, I really appreciate it, but, you know, I got my eye on something else. In the book of Luke, there's the example of the prodigal son. He, he gets a blessing early on in life. He asks his father for his inheritance. It's a lot of money, and he doesn't know how to use it wisely. And so he holds on to it very loosely, and he spends it all. He goes and he parties in a faraway land. And he comes back, and he's poor, and he's destitute. But we do this too. It's not just in the Bible. Have you ever seen a rowdy boy get a bike? Or something shiny and mildly expensive for their birthday or for Christmas? I remember getting a bike when I was 10, and I treated it like it owed me money. Okay, I was throwing it down. I didn't care if it was on somebody else's lawn, let alone our lawn. And it was, it was constantly getting beat up. We were running our bikes into each other. It was like, this bike is disposable. It's not a blessing. I don't care. But we do the same thing in our marriages. I'm going to be with this person for the next 30 years. I don't have to put in the hard work. They're going to Go to bed with me, wake up together, hey, bye, love you, see you later. We don't treat it like the blessing that it is. We don't treat work like the blessing that it is. I, I put in six hours rather than eight, whatever. Boss doesn't even notice. You catch my drift. We start to take a blessing and we go, meh, thanks God. You know, I just, I, I don't care. Thankfully, there is a way. To receive God's blessings rightly. Jesus is the way. And we need to hear it again and again. This, this fear before the Lord. This is something that Jesus did perfectly. Before his heavenly father. He feared him in that he came to do the father's will. And he did it perfectly. In Jesus we're most blessed by God. And we can receive blessings rightly. We can receive them for what they are. We can hold on to them firmly and rightly. And so we'll move to point three, firm fullness. How do you get full and stay full? We would avoid a lot of trips to the kitchen if we could figure it out. Willy Wonka's unending gobstopper kind of a situation. We would love that. I would love that. But how does Jesus help us see the blessings of this psalm? How does he help us stay full? It's helpful to turn to the New Testament to see how Jesus talks about blessing. Because he picks up on the agricultural image of this psalm. 
Jesus said in the book of, the, of John, he's the vine and we're the branches. He even talked about the fruit of labor. He talked about this bread that we have to eat that is Christ's own body. That's how we stay full. This image comes together as Jesus begins to talk about blessing that says to be in Christ is to be full. It's to be alive. And so you are full already, spiritually speaking, because you have Jesus. You are in Christ. You've believed in Jesus as your Savior, and now you have a blessed life. Not only that, but with the help of the Lord, you continue walking in his ways. This psalm anticipates uh, the blessings that follow walking with the Lord, fearing the Lord, but it never tells us to stop either of those practices. We don't just fear him once, uh, obey one time, and then all of a sudden we just get all the blessings in the world. This is a progressive thing. We come into fellowship with Jesus, we have his Holy Spirit, and we continue to follow, walking in the ways of the Lord, and we continue to fear, we continue to obey. Being in Christ, we start to see that the walk itself is a blessing. And so I want to just shake up a little bit the image that you have of this psalm. The psalm uses fairly concrete language, but it's only an example of some of God's blessings. It's, it's neither comprehensive nor totally diverse. We know that Jesus gives us more than just a full mouth, a full table, some kids, a wife, and a city. He gives us more than that. And you don't even have to resemble this psalm to be blessed. You don't have to have a wife. You don't have to have children or grandchildren. Those things are blessings. I want you to treasure them. But if you don't have them, you can look at Paul. You can look at Jesus. And you can know that these were individuals who feared the Lord. And yet, these blessings, particular blessings of this psalm, they didn't come. That's okay. Here's the rub. The Lord's blessing isn't focused on our lives going well. Free and easy, fat and happy, making sure we check off the boxes of this psalm. Being blessed in Christ means letting Christ define what a blessing really looks like. So what did Jesus say about blessings? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. I'm sure lots of listeners around Jesus at that time were like, yeah, that sounds really good. I'm on board with that. That's awesome. Sure. I want to suffer all the time. But Jesus has taken the psalmist's understanding of blessing and he's recalibrated it to the thorny reality that we live in and the future kingdom he's building. But he didn't take the blessings away. Instead, he's saying that you're still greatly blessed and indeed, you're, you're probably even more blessed in particularly challenging circumstances while greater rewards await in the life to come. Just imagine some of the sweetest blessings that you have in your life right now. Maybe you've been working on a work project for four years. Four years of your life, 
doing the same thing in the same office with the same people, and it's finally wrapped up, and you're proud of it, and it looks good. Maybe you have a sweet friendship uh, that you guys have been through the ringer together. There have been some fights. There's been some not talking for some years, and then you pick it back up, and you move on together as friends. Maybe you have a spouse sitting beside you, and they've walked with you through a sin struggle. They've walked with you through illness after illness. They've walked you with you through a miscarriage or more. If you knew that the way to that blessing of that person, that thing, was down a road filled with tears, would you have walked down it with Jesus? Most of us would say, no, I don't want any part of that suffering that that involves. Kelsey and I, often when we're talking with other couples, we say, we had no business getting married when we got married. I didn't know it was going to be really, really hard, and that I was going to see all my sin, some of her sin, and, sorry, none of her sin, and uh, <laughs> things were going to be really difficult. I didn't know that, but I wouldn't trade anything now. Jesus didn't come to take away all the richness and fullness of the psalm, like being a Christian somehow just means suffering. That's it. But he wanted to show that being his, belonging to him in this life and for eternity, exceeds every other blessing. That's what helps you hold on to things rightly. In this room, there might be a really blessed guy or gal, a modern-day Job or Jobatha. But if everything is taken away, you are still full in Christ. Jesus is the greatest blessing. You're blessed far beyond what you've imagined, far beyond what this psalm even conceives of. The richest man in the world without Christ is the poorest man you've ever seen. Revelation talks about streets of gold. That sounds pretty sweet. But right now, today, this minute, in Christ, you are freed from sin. There is no condemnation for you today. You're holding the keys to a kingdom. that You'll walk through a door one day and know eternal wholeness. Perfect rest, perfect peace, perfect joy. You've been made holy and pure and clean right now in Christ. You are not bound for hell. You are bound for new creation. No wonder Paul could say, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because Christ is our fullness. Christ is our riches. Christ is our inheritance. He is the vine. He is our security. He is our prosperity. He helps us to see blessings rightly. A glorious inheritance isn't all the money that you're leaving for your kids. It's not even all of the kids that you might have. Time will take both of those things away. But in Christ you are secure. All blessings pale in comparison to the one who gives them. The blessing of Jesus and His Holy Spirit also, they keep giving us more as He grows our desire for even greater blessings to come. 
Imagine a young girl getting a My Little Pony, like five. I don't know when you give a My Little Pony. I have no idea. But she starts dreaming of the day when she turns 16 because mom and dad have said, you know what, we might just be able to get you a horse someday. That toy is sweet, but when she turns 16 and she's been begging and her parents finally relent and they get her a horse, there is nothing sweeter than that first riding lesson. God builds our anticipation for blessings in the same way. And and God does that by giving us gifts and by giving us unexpected or even unwanted gifts. Jesus said gifts would come through suffering. His his concept of blessing seems so radical compared to how the world thinks about fullness and blessing. Suffering is the way, and the world is shocked, but, you know, consider this. You would never know how sweet it is to be healthy, to be energetic, and to be happy if you didn't know loss, if you didn't know weakness, if you didn't know grief. You wouldn't know how to trust Jesus. You wouldn't know how to be secure and at peace in Him. You wouldn't know the presence of the Holy Spirit, the fellowship of the body, the joy of God's Word. If you never saw your sin, if you never repented, if you never believed, if you never doubted, if you never walked through a season of suffering, when rust and decay and disease and death take away the things we love and treasure, God is still blessing us in Jesus. And I don't want to be like too simplistic about a hard season somebody might be going through. And you're hearing this and you're saying, okay, I guess I'll just gut it out. Some, some, something good must be happening. God said so. We might have a lot of Job moments in this life where we cannot see what God is doing, how God is particularly blessing us through the hardship. That's just reality in this world. But one day our heavenly eyes will be able to see the greatest joys that we can't see now. So let me just make one more pitch for counseling. Come on in and talk if you're walking through a season of suffering. Please don't walk through things alone. So hear this as we close. When blessings come, remember that you're in Christ. The book of Philippians says that Christ was emptied. He was poured out. Why? So that we could be made full. And his blessings give us a reason to praise. So I'm going to give you the the shortest point of application. Blessings should be celebrated. This psalm looks forward so much. All the, all the wills and the shalls, let it be. And, and that gets us where we're at. You know, often we're looking forward and we're asking what the next blessing is. But I want us as a church to make a practice of looking back. Looking back and thanking God for the work he's already done in your life and in other people's lives. And then I want you to share that with the people around you. It becomes mutual encouragement. It, it brings glory to God. It brings you joy. To reflect on what God has done. Brother and sister, you do not have to cling too closely, too tightly to your blessings. And you don't have to throw them away like they're always going to be there. You can look at them with the eyes of faith. Knowing that Christ surpasses every blessing there is. He builds our anticipation for greater things with every blessing that we get. One day we'll have blessings that are perfect untarnished, 
unbroken, and unending when we're finally with him in glory. Let me pray. Father, what a beautiful picture it is to think about the blessed individual who fears you, who walks in your ways. And we know that it's only possible through Christ Jesus our Lord to, to fear you, to obey, to walk before you righteously. Cause our faith to grow. And I pray for those who are wrestling now that they would profess faith, that you would call them into faith and help them to rest upon Christ. And I pray that as blessings come, Father, whether it's a full table or a healthy marriage, whatever those things are, we, we want to hold on to them rightly. We want to hold on to them truly, seeing that Christ outshines them all. Would you help us to receive those things for what they are and also for what they anticipate when things finally will be unbroken and unending, perfect and glorious. We pray that we would treasure you most of all. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before I move off of the stage, we're going to have just a little time of reflection, about a minute, and I want you to take this time to do what I was just talking about. Think about God's blessings as they've come to you this week, maybe in the last year, the last decade, whatever you want. Take some time to praise Him and thank Him for what He's done, and thank Him most of all for His Son. Let's pray. Let's pray.